like to follow along, please turn to the book of Luke, to the first chapter. The priest Zacharias, in the time soon before the birth of Jesus, anticipating the coming of the Lord Jesus into this world, said that the Lord has visited and redeemed his people. And before Jesus came into this world, there was born a disciple, a prophet of the Lord named John the Baptist, who we call John the Baptist. And today I'd like to examine his life, his path, and from that draw lessons that we can learn about discipleship and about what it teaches us about our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'd like to look at the life of John the Baptist and his path of following the Lord in five chapters. The five chapters of his of his service to the Lord. John the Baptist was a very special follower of the Lord. He served a very important and critical purpose in God's plan. In God's plan, he was the one that was to come and to be in uh, in a sense the last Old Testament prophet, and also the one who has come to prepare the way of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, to get the people ready for the coming of Jesus into the world. And so examining his life, we see very the very special role and calling that he had. But we also see in his path of serving the Lord, commonalities with the path of anyone who serves God in this life. And the things that they go through and the phases of their life and the challenges that they encounter and the mercy of God at work in their lives. So let's consider his life. And I want to begin by reading in Luke chapter one, verses five through 17, where we have the announcement about the coming of the birth of John. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now well stricken in years." And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The first chapter of the life of discipleship is that of the calling of God. 
the calling of God. Uh, John, John was called by the Lord, and he was called uh, very early. And we see that his calling went back even before he was born into the plan of God for his purpose in this world. That is that God has a plan for his people even before we are born. God has a purpose and a plan for our lives and our service to him and what it will accomplish for in accordance with his purpose. And so it was with with John. He was to go before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah. And he was to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And he was to do so by, as we'll see later, preaching repentance, preaching for people to turn from their sin and make themselves ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world. And this was his purpose. And this purpose, we see God's purpose was uh, was intended and made even before John was born, even before John was aware of it. It was to come by the power and the intended purpose of God. In fact, all the way going back into the prophets, they had foretold the coming of John into the world. In Isaiah chapter 40, it speaks about how he would be the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the paths of the Lord. That there would come a prophet that God would send, that he would be a voice crying out in the wilderness. Which literally John was, as he would later go out into the wilderness and he'd preach. And he'd preach for the people to repent, and they would come to him to be baptized. And that's how he got uh, what we, uh, how we refer to him. We refer to him as John the Baptist. Uh, because John was out in the wilderness and he was baptizing the people that came to him. It says he was preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So people would come and they would uh, hear his preaching and he would call on them to repent. And he would say the kingdom of God is at hand and they would confess their sins and they would ask him what they were to do. And he would baptize them. And in doing so, he was preparing the way for the coming of Jesus Christ, which we'll we'll come back to soon. But it says something else about him as well that was special. It said that he would be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. That from even within the womb, he was going to be anointed with the Spirit of God for the ministry and the service that he had. And so let's turn uh, over to later in the in this chapter to verse 39. And we have this very powerful and incredible interaction that takes place. So it already mentioned Elizabeth. Zacharias was a priest. It said he was a priest of the course of Abiah. The, during David's reign, King David's reign, the priesthood was divided into 24 courses so that they would take their turns going in and doing their service. And this time, as we've read, Zacharias, when he went in to do his service, an angel appeared to him. And the angel appeared to him to announce what would be something miraculous. Something miraculous. That is that Zacharias and Elizabeth... That they, in their old age, even though she was barren, they would give birth to a son. She would, she would uh, conceive and give birth to a child in her old age. And uh, just like God had done 
uh, a number of times before in his history of his people, he was able to bring life from the dead womb of Elizabeth and bring a child into the world, a miracle into this world in accordance with his plan. And just uh, about uh, six months later, another woman was going to have a miraculous birth, one that even exceeded in its, in its amazement what would happen to Elizabeth. In this case, it was Mary, her cousin, who was a virgin who was going to conceive and give birth to the Son of God. And around, uh, uh, around this time when both women are pregnant, Mary comes to visit Elizabeth, and what we're about to read records what happens in their interaction. This is in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste, into a city of Judah, and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is it that this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her of the Lord." So this is incredible. Mary comes to Elizabeth and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and she perceives that the babe in her womb was leaping for joy, was leaping for joy at the presence of Jesus. And we see that the the power of God's spirit was already at work in John, even when he was just a baby in the womb. God is able by the power of his spirit to call his people at any time, at any place, with a power that is able to to pierce through anything that we might conceive of in our own human understanding. We would think it would be difficult for a baby in the womb to be able to have faith and to be able to have an understanding and to be able to have joy in the presence of Jesus Christ. But with God, all things are possible. By the Spirit of God, John is able uh, not only to, to react to the presence of Jesus, but it says to leap for joy. He had joy at the presence of Jesus. And we see that the calling of John began with the work of the Holy Spirit in his life to enlighten him to the knowledge of God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is with with all of God's people. When he calls us, he calls us by a mighty work of his spirit that is able to enlighten our understanding to the knowledge of Christ such that he leaps for joy. And in leaping for joy at the reaction of the presence of Jesus, we see a foreshadowing of everything that the uh, service of John toward God would be about. That is that his whole life, his whole following of God was going to be about making Jesus known, revealing the greatness of Jesus. His reaction here, leaping for joy, results in praise being made to Jesus and the revelation of Jesus being expressed by his mother as she uh, speaks about 
what, what is going to take place and what is happening. In fact, she makes uh, a powerful profession that reveals something both about the human and divine nature of Jesus Christ. One of these profound doctrinal truths that we hold dear that the Lord Jesus is both fully human and fully divine is implied by her statement here that she makes. She says, whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? First of all, she speaks of Mary as the mother of Jesus. Mary is the mother of Jesus. He had a human mother. We see the humanity of Jesus. He had a mother. He was, he was fully human. He had all the human nature that you and I have. All the experiences of being conceived, of being born, of being brought into this world, of being raised up by, by his, his human mother and by his parents growing, uh, experiencing hunger, experiencing life in this earth, suffering, pain, sorrow, temptation, trials, all these things we see uh, foreshadowed here in what she says that the mother of my Lord, but she also says the mother of my Lord. That she recognizes that the baby that was to be born to Mary was in fact her Lord. Her Lord. The one to whom every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And his identity and his being and his, his divine nature was fully present even when he was just a baby in the womb. That is that the divine nature of Jesus is inherent in who he is. It's it's his very nature. He didn't attain unto being God. He didn't uh, rise up to that level or earn it or achieve it in some way by what he did and what he accomplished. But he is, in fact, the word who in the beginning was with God, who in the beginning was God who all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And that eternal word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we see that there is a testimony about Jesus. And as we consider our own service to God in this life, may we have the same end that the service and calling of John the Baptist had. That is, that our lives and our service to God might not be ultimately about us, but about making Jesus known. That it might be about bringing attention and glory and praise to the name of Jesus and not about ourselves. And we'll see this as we see his life unfold. So we see that God's purpose for him and his calling was uh, intended from even before he was born. In fact, as we come to know that God's calling and his choice of his people was before the foundation of the world. And then we see that his calling comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it brings about uh, an awareness and a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Next, we see John's service of Jesus. His service of the Lord. His service is marked by obedience to the calling that God called him to. So if you turn over to Luke chapter 3, you see his ministry at work in Luke chapter 3. It gives us this historical record of how John came and began to preach 
the coming of the kingdom of God. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and of the region around Trachonitis, and Licinius, the tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priests, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now, we're going to read on here a little bit further, but I want to point out about John that John, it says the word of the Lord came to John. God's word came to him. God uh, came to John and told him what he was to do, called him to what he was to do and sent him forth to do it. And John responded in obedience to the word of the word of God. And then he went out to call others to obedience to God. And that's what we see here uh, unfolding. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? The message that John preaches is a message of repentance. When God's word comes to people, it calls them to repent. God's word to people is always to repentance because we are sinners and we need to turn from our sin and turn toward God. So a message of repentance is a necessity in God's purpose. But the response to that message is twofold. There are those that hear that message and do not believe that they have any need of repentance. Those that see themselves as righteous and not needing repentance. And there are those that hear that message and respond to that message with repentance. And that is characterized by those who say to him, what shall we do then? How do we, how, they wanted further instruction. And that ought to be the response of our hearts when we hear God's word. That when we hear God's word and we're confronted with our own sin or how we may be going astray from God's plan, that we should have a desire of how we are to change, how we are, what, what are we to do? What are we to stop doing? What are we to do differently? And, and John then goes on to give them very practical instructions that was in many respects specific to each of their cases. See, I can preach to all of us here, myself and all of you, that we ought to repent and turn to the Lord. But then when it comes down to it, each one of us in our lives, and it may have to do with what kind of place in life we're at, whether we're parents or we're children or we're in the workplace 
or it, or it may have to do with the type of job that we do, or it may have to do with just our own history and our own uh, temptations that we have fallen into, the specific instructions of how we are to repent and how we are to serve God and turn from our sins are go, go into the specifics of our situation. And that's, uh, that's what John went on to do. He answered and said unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none, and he that hath meat, let him do likewise. So he exhorts them to generosity, to kindness. He exhorts them to not be selfish with their possessions, but to look after those that are in need. Uh, Then came also publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were Christ or not, John answered, saying them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh. The latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so we see that John was calling them to obedience to the Lord, calling them to repentance, and that he was also pointing them to Jesus Christ. The purpose of John being sent by God was to reveal Jesus Christ. And that comes to greater and greater intensity as his story unfolds, as his service unfolds. And uh, it would be revealed in, when, when Jesus comes to him to be baptized. And he would point the way to Jesus Christ. And here he does the same. John is teaching the people. He's instructing them. And people are starting to wonder, is he the Messiah? Is he the anointed one of God that was to come? He was an anointed one. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit as prophets and kings and priests at different times were. But was he the appointed one? Well, he points them away from himself at one who was to come after him. And then in John chapter 1, we see specifically him pointing the people to Jesus and revealing Jesus to them. In John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. So John here gets to the heart of the whole purpose that he was come. Why he was sent to baptize. Why he was sent to preach to the people. Why he was sent as a prophet. His purpose was to reveal Jesus Christ. His purpose was to point the people to the Lamb of God who was to take away the sin of the world. That is that John understood. He understood that his purpose in life, his calling, was not about himself. It was about something greater. And that's the greatest kind of calling we could have. If your life is all about you, if it's all about yourself, that is, that is so small and so insignificant. But if our lives are about Jesus, 
If they're about revealing him and making him known that we are part of something great, something glorious. And that was how John saw himself. I mean, he was somebody that he had a lot of attention. He had a lot of people following him. He had his own disciples. He had people that heard his word and they were so drawn to what he was saying that they followed him and they served him and they spent time with him. But rather than being jealous over that, when Jesus comes along and he sees Jesus, he pointed the people to Jesus and he said to people, he said, go follow him. Follow that man instead of me. And he pointed to Jesus and revealed him. And that's what service of discipleship is all about. The third chapter of his Discipleship, we might say, was one of suffering, of suffering. It says in Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And we see that John was not far from this himself. He experienced this as well. Describes how in Luke uh, chapter 3, later in that chapter, how he was thrown into prison by Herod because of the things that he was speaking and saying. Uh, but he, 19 and 20. But Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved of him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all. That he shut up John in prison. The Apostle Paul once said that if he sought to please men, that he wouldn't be a disciple of Jesus. He said he sought to please God rather than man. And so it was with John. Here John, one of the most powerful people in that whole region, Herod the Tetrarch. And when John has opportunity to speak to Herod or to speak about Herod... Rather than saying the things that would flatter Herod and would please Herod and would get him into Herod's good graces, he did not hold back from speaking the truth to Herod, even when it offended Herod and even when it brought trouble back on John. John called out the sexual immorality of Herod. He called out the, uh, his, his political evils. He called out the, all the evil things that he was doing, of which it doesn't even list all of them. But the one it does list was that he took his brother's wife to be his wife. And John calls him out for it and said, you shouldn't have done that. That's wrong. And Herod was upset about this. And Herodias, his wife, was even more upset about it. And she wanted him dead from that point forward. And it describes in another place about how Herod would call John and John would come and he would speak to him and Herod would sometimes listen to him. And it seems like he didn't really like John, but maybe he was somewhat interested in what he would say. He was also afraid of of angering the people by killing John. But ultimately, Herodias comes up with a scheme to have John put to death. And so we see John's Uh, service of Jesus was in line with what Jesus would say later of his disciples. If any man should come after me, so let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. See, we don't follow Jesus so that we can have everything go great for us in our lives here. 
And if anybody tells you that's what it's all about, they're, they're lying to you. He that would live godly shall suffer persecution. See, to follow Jesus is to follow in his path. And what does his path show us? It's a path of suffering. It's a path of martyrdom. Jesus would, would of course, lay down his life for his people, but many of his followers would also give up their lives, and all of his followers must lay down our lives and follow him. It's a path of suffering. It's a path where we take up our cross. That is an instrument of of suffering and death and follow him. And that might seem like a great sacrifice to us, but, but in fact, it is an entirely reasonable one to make. For Jesus says, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world but lose his soul? And so it is no great cost to lay down our life, to lay down your own desires, at times your own comfort, your own security, your own well-being for the sake of following Jesus. John did. It landed him in a prison cell and ultimately with his head cut off as he gave his life in his service of his God. We see that his later years were ones of suffering and trouble as he was in prison. And that brings me to the fourth chapter of his service as he was in prison we see some evidence that there perhaps was a season that he went through of doubt. When he began to wonder, did he really understand it all after all? Uh, John's faith was one that he had from the time he was even a child in the womb. And sometimes that faith of a child is is so much stronger and more intense and more uncluttered by the, our, our human reasoning and our doubts than it is as we get later and older in life and we begin to wonder, we begin to question. And John, in the midst of his suffering, perhaps, he began to, to wonder, he began to doubt. In Matthew chapter 11, it records how John, when he was in prison, he sent some of his disciples to Jesus. Now remember, this is the same John that when he was preaching and baptizing and Jesus came to him to be baptized, he said, he said, I ought to be baptized of you. The same John that heard as he heard a voice from heaven when Jesus was baptized that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is the same John that when he was preaching and Jesus came walking toward them, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. This same John in prison, it records how when he heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? I don't understand the doubts that John began to have, but he sends his disciples to Jesus saying, are you the one that we're expecting? Are you the one that was to come? Are you the Messiah? Or should we be looking for someone else? Maybe the life and the ministry of Jesus didn't unfold exactly how John was expecting. That wouldn't be surprising. 
Because many people in expecting the Messiah did not expect him to look like what Jesus did. The humble teacher. Uh, coming with such, such meekness and humility into this world. But whatever the reason, we see John goes through a season of doubt and questioning. And he sends his disciples to Jesus. Are you he that should come or do we look for another? And then we have Jesus's response to him shows us the fifth chapter of that path of discipleship. And that is the confirmation, the encouragement and the sustainment and the support that God gives to his people. As he says that began a good work in you shall perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. It says the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. So when God purposes before the foundation of the world, when God in time calls his people by the power of his spirit and and his word to himself, that God who began that good work will continue it all the days of our life and confirm us to the end. And so when John in his doubt sends this question to Jesus, Jesus sends him back an answer. And the answer is not to upbraid him for his lack of faith or to, to, uh, to, to disown John, but to give him confirmation and encouragement in this time by reminding him of what he had seen and what he had heard. And that's really what we need when we're in times of doubt. When we're in times of discouragement, what do you need? You don't need something entirely new. You need to be reminded of what God has already done and is doing and will do in your life. You need to be reminded that God has visited and redeemed his people. You need to be reminded of what you have seen about Jesus Christ. And and to be honest, I think many times we need to have our focus and our attention turned off of ourselves and back onto Jesus where it belongs. Many of the times when we get discouraged, and I'm not saying this is the case with John here, but for us, many times we get discouraged or we begin to doubt or we begin to turn away from the path. It's because we've turned our attention back on ourselves. We're just thinking about our own problems, our own suffering, our own doubts. We need our thoughts and our attention back on Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus uh, sends back to John is a confirmation of who he is and the encouragement. Jesus answered and said unto them, go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. He says, go back to him. Tell him again. Show him again. He's already heard it. He's already heard even the very things that Jesus is going to send, but he needs to be reminded of them again. He needs to be reminded again of what he, uh, deep inside, in, in his spirit, he knows to be the case. Who Jesus is, what he's done. What do you need to be reminded of today? What have you forgotten? What has drifted out of your mind? You know it deep down that Jesus died for your sins according to the scriptures that the grave could not hold him but he rose from the dead 
that he ascended up to the right hand of his father in heaven, that he ever rules and reigns and makes intercession for his people. If those truths are on our heart, what could shake us? And so he sends him back. He says, show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Is he the one that should come or do we look for another? Jesus reminds him. He says, look at look at what's taking place. God's plan foretold all all the way back in the prophets of the old covenant is unfolding before your eyes. The blind are receiving their sight. The lame are walking. The poor are having the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he, he says, whoever shall not be offended in me. And so we see that in John, as it is with all of his people, God continues his work to the very end. I want to close with this. In John chapter 3, We see John's John's testimony of how he saw his own life, his own calling and service to God, and how it related to Jesus. All along the way, everything about John from, from when he was called and the Holy Spirit was upon him in the womb, to his service and his preaching... And his uh, following of God, his suffering and martyrdom, even his doubt and the response to it. All of these things were serving to reveal Jesus. And that's how he saw his purpose in his life. In John chapter 3 verse 23 it says, And John also was baptizing in Anon near Tassalim because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized For John was not yet cast into prison. He's baptizing, also baptizing. It's because he's comparing it with Jesus and his disciples in particular who were baptizing at the same time. So John came and he he, his ministry began before Jesus's ministry. And he began to have all these disciples coming to him. He had followers. And then Jesus comes and Jesus starts preaching and people start to follow after Jesus. And and there's a time where there's an overlap where they're both preaching, they're both teaching, they both have disciples following them, coming to them. Uh, But something's happening. Jesus is beginning to gain in his fame and his following. And people are some people are leaving John and going to follow Jesus and more people are going to follow Jesus. Uh, Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, it's talking about Jesus, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. You can almost hear the, um, almost a consternation in their response. They're, They're concerned about what's going on. Everybody's going after this man, this man that you testified of. Everybody's following him. Everybody's going to him. 
And perhaps unspoken is, well, they're leaving you, John, and they're going to follow him. Your, your church is shrinking and his is growing. And they're concerned. And maybe they think he would be concerned. Maybe they think he would be worried or upset about this. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. John realized that every good thing he had, his ministry, his calling, his disciples, any reputation or fame he had, anything he had, he had from God. He says, ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Now, I don't think that their weddings set up was exactly like it is in our day. There are probably different traditions. But I picture, I picture the, the groom and the best man. And John's basically saying, like, he's the best man. You know, he's there to stand beside the groom and get everything ready and prepare the way. And it's almost like he's saying, how silly would it be if the best man at the wedding all of a sudden wanted to make the whole thing about him? And when the groom starts coming, the best man is now all of a sudden upset because everybody starts paying attention to the groom rather than the best man. How ridiculous does that sound? And John gives them this analogy. He gives us this illustration to show how what was really important. John had a great honor to be the friend of the bridegroom. John had a great honor to be the one that could point people and say, here's the one that you've been waiting for. And I hope we see our lives and our service to God in the same way. That the greatest honor we could have would be to point people to Jesus. It's not about us. It's about him. And he understood that. He says, this, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we pray that in our own estimation, in our own eyes, that we would decrease and you would increase. We thank you for the example of your disciples that have gone before us. And may we learn from their path. May we learn that the greatest calling that we can have in this life is to be a light that shines and points others to the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, for what you have revealed through your prophets, disciples, through people like Zacharias and John and Elizabeth and Mary and others that through their lives and the work that you did in their lives, you have shown us an example and you have revealed Jesus to us. We thank you, God, for these lessons. We thank you for sending your son into this world to visit and redeem your people, to to come to us in our darkness and trouble, that you might redeem us from all iniquity and deliver us with a great work of salvation. We thank you for this time of worship, and we pray, dear Lord, for your blessing upon us in Jesus' name. Amen.